Hello, everyone. My name is Jack, and you're listening to the Dev90X podcast. Day 19, almost at day 20, and I've got a couple of little updates for you today. Number one, my sickness update, as that has been the major topic of the last few days, is that I am back. Um, it wasn't so bad in the end. I was down and out for about one day, and I felt pretty pretty bad for three days, 72 hours. Um, that was uh, Sunday, Monday, and then actually not even three days, just two days. I felt really bad on Sunday and Monday. And then yesterday, I had a major comeback with my energy. And today, I am feeling pretty good. Um, I still got like, I've got a cough now. And it's getting deeper. And it's getting wetter. And it's feeling good to cough. You know, you know that feeling when it's like, when it feels good to cough? And it's not like, it doesn't hurt. And it's not painful. And it's not like you're trying too hard. Yeah, it's like that. So, um, good signs. My immune system is cooking a storm in my chest. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's doing great work. It's doing exceptionally good good work. So, that is great. I'm, I'm trying to make up for lost time a little bit now. Putting in a couple of extra hours today. And um, I dare say that tomorrow I will have... A nice and juicy one to to report. So progress. Re- oh wait, 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 wait. Jack's hack. All right, Jack's hack for today is planning your day every day. This is something that I have started to do consistently over the last eight weeks or so. Um, I got fairly lazy with planning my day for many, many months. And I just completely forgot that this is awesome. Planning your day every day has a definite effect or impact on your day. Um, Even if you don't think it does. Even if you have a fairly solid routine that just repeats itself every day. Um, Just putting in a little bit of time in the morning. I'm doing it in the morning. Uh, It's not the first thing that I do, but it's like the second or the third thing that I do at the moment. it just helps to just just pick up on the little things, you know. There's some things that just get, there's little things that get forgotten. And if you don't just sit down and run through your day, um, do a bit of a game plan, It ha- yeah, you, you miss things. So I, I highly recommend anyone listening to this, become become a daily planner. At least plan on the daily. Like if you're not planning on the weekly or the monthly, that's all right. But at least plan on the daily. Uh, it helps a lot to plan on the weekly as well. Uh, I do that as well. On Sunday evening, I set weekly intentions and weekly goals. And I used to also do monthly intentions and monthly goals, but not daily. That's <laughs> funny. I used to just set monthly intentions. Um, but now I think I'm, I'm doing pretty well with all of them. Overall, biggest impact is definitely on planning planning out your day, your current day. Um, that's definitely the biggest impact. And yeah, I mean, weekly is great as well, to be honest. And so is monthly. Monthly is like a 
in a higher level thing where you're like setting an intention for the month like this month I want to have more fun or this month I want to you know improve on my health or this one this month I want to get stronger or something like that those, those intentions definitely have a major impact on your life as well um the way I plan my day just to go a little bit into it I've tried a lot of different things um I used to be doing that when I first started doing this consistently every day I set up a document in Coda and I had all the different topics like what will you eat today what will you what exercise will you do today like asking me all these different questions like what are you going to work on today what are you going to learn today and I would answer each of those questions and then it was like a form and that form would go into a table view and it would just update every day that that table view and so I could see every day what I was putting in in the end I didn't really like this method um, as much as the one I use right now. The one I use right now is just a solid morning to evening game plan. So I think about my morning, I think about my midday, I think about my evening, and I think about the actual time slots of what's going into those hours. And I found that this is just a lot more effective because you're thinking about the actual hours that it's like the tangible thing that you have control over rather than uh, an abstract idea about you know i'd like to work out today or i'd like to eat healthy today or you know they're not tangible things like it doesn't fit into the overall strategy whereas if you know that you're going to the gym at 3 p.m then uh you know what can what can come before or after that and so it's much more tangible. I like that word, tangible. Uh, yeah, so I recommend this method. Okay, progress report. Uh, I've got a lot of dot points here because things are pretty random right now. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sort of just like, again, I'm in the swamps. I'm just trying to find something to hold, grab onto, find the best way forward, and it's just tricky. I've been trialing a lot of different apps and it's funny because when I first loaded up Xcode I was like nothing will build nothing will build and now I've got heaps of different apps being built and now they're like running on my iPad and I'm not having trouble building apps now um, or like compiling apps so that I guess those initial ones that I tried still don't work but I've just gone ahead and found different ones and they work. Interestingly, I found out you can also just build with the new M1 MacBooks. So I've got an M1 Air and you could just build directly for your MacBook as a target because uh, it's running the same architecture as iOS. So it'll just, what it does is it just pops up a square window of your app running natively on, on Mac OS, even though it's an iOS app, uh, which is pretty interesting. Although I did find that it doesn't it still doesn't work with um, the, the sensor APIs and or even the camera API, which is weird because it, I tried this and it did ask me, hey, would you like to use the webcam? And I was like, yes, yes, please. And it still didn't work. So for some reason, it just doesn't work, even though it's supposedly being emulated. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so it's still not viable to do like camera apps without having an external device. So it seems, anyway. So it seems. Um, did work on my iPad, though, so that was cool. 
I'm trying this Ray Wendelik tutorial, which is a, it's like this little game where it uses computer vision through your camera and it's you like count the stars. So it like drops a whole bunch of stars on the screen. They fall down and they bounce around and stuff using physics. And you're like, oh, how many stars was that? And you count them and then you hold up the number of stars that it was with your hands or your fingers. Um, so if, and it, it's one to ten. So it could be like one star, it could be ten stars. Uh, and you just hold up the number of fingers that represents how many stars dropped. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting. It's it's similar to what I'm doing, except it's not using an activity. It's just using a a single frame pose detection. Uh, and when when it's pose, it's like hand hand number of fingers that it's counting. So it's not. I mean, I say pose, but it's not not really a pose per se. It's just counting the number of fingers on the screen. Um, but it runs that. It's running that on every single frame, and so. It's really jittery with the the way that it, it works, and interestingly, it doesn't actually work very well. Uh, it's kind of hopeless because it flashes predictions based on. So the way it's programmed is that it'll only guess. It'll only say, "Yeah, there's definitely a finger there" if it's above a certain threshold of confidence, uh, and that could be like I'm, you know, I'm seventy percent or more sure that that is a finger on the screen that I'm seeing. And so if it's like above, I don't know what it is actually, but if it's, let's say it's above 70% sure that that's a finger, then it'll say that's a finger. Um, and if it's below 70% sure that it's a finger, then it will not say that there's a finger there. And so it draws dots on each finger. If it's above, if it's detected that it's above its level of surety, but the thing is that these dots are like flashing like on and off because that confidence is just it's very uh inconsistent frame to frame you know based on lighting and based on position and based on like what it's been trained on and so when you hold your hand up it just like flashes every number between one and ten um and you just you know you instantly get it right every time because it's just flashing on and off these little dots and the actual number of dots on the screen is like just just going like just rapidly like up and down. So it's always flashing the correct answer to the number of stars that dropped. I found that quite interesting. Um, there's definitely uh, maybe it's just that the this tutorial is just a bit of a lazy design in terms of like it's just giving you like a brief example of what you could do, but. To be honest, this use case is totally useless. You ne there needs to be some kind of design pattern or design architecture around creating a more consistent guess at what's happening on the uh, with the camera. What what the computer vision model is is guessing can't just be like rapidly changing, you know, thirty times a second. Uh, it needs you need to somehow program a little bit of consistency into it, so it's not changing that quickly um, and maybe logic as well I'm not sure but like logic could, could potentially help with this problem so that's interesting I won't suffer the same problem because the activity API the one that takes an activity model guesses based on 30 frames at a time well that's what I've got mine set up for 30 frames so it takes 30 frames 
from the camera feed, uh, groups those 30 frames together and creates a multi-dimensional array. And that array has, um, it's got the frame number, that's one dimension. It's got the x, y, c values. So x, y is like the point of the joint um, in, on an x, y axis. And the c is the confidence of that guess. And then it's got the actual label for the joint. So there's three dimensions to it. Three? I guess the second one is like multi-dimensional as well. Because it's got yeah x, y, and c as confidence, and then oh yeah, and then the third dimension is multi-dimension as well because it's got eighteen different joints, and that array, yeah, it's like kind of crazy to think about how much data is going into each, each, um, each bit of the of the top level array. But anyway, it takes thirty frames with all that data, and then it makes a prediction based on all of that data. And it'll make a prediction every second. So there's a lot more consistency with the, with the activity model rather than just the pose estimator, which is running a guess on every single frame. So I don't think I'll have that same problem, which is, that's good, I guess. Um, <clears throat> I was testing passive background material playing on my iPad yesterday. So I was thinking like, okay, what if I'm like working away on my MacBook and then I've just got like endless streams of YouTube um, playlists running on my iPad off to the side. So I tried that and I put on Code with Chris on YouTube and I just found it a little bit distracting. I was like, okay, this is just kind of divergent focus and I'm not fully focused on what I'm working on on my laptop and I'm also not fully focused on what's going on off to the side. I thought that it could be useful because a lot of the time you don't, there's just bits and pieces that are useful. You're like watching hours and hours of content and all you're actually trying to get are like a couple of bits and pieces that help you take those next steps. And I thought, okay, maybe I can still pick up those bits and pieces passively um, or like just tune in when, I, when my ears prick up on, with something. But I don't, I'm not sure if this is actually going to work. Uh, theoretically, awesome idea. In practice, doesn't seem to work. I've just found myself pausing the video when I needed to focus. Um, and then other times I was sort of like, what am I doing? What am I focusing on? So, bit of a failed experiment. I might try it again, but we'll see. I started my iOS and Swift course on Udemy. It's called iOS and Swift, the complete iOS development bootcamp with... Dr. Angela Yu, and um, initially the course is just a bunch of like prep work, and so I haven't actually really got into anything yet, but I've done like the first hour and a bit of that course, and uh, watching it on 1.5 times speed at the moment, but that might slow down when, when we get into the coding stuff. Probably will, because I'll be pausing it a lot. I have this um, concept that came up, uh, which is from language learning and it's comprehensible input is what you need. And I realized this is also true for learning any kind of new, difficult, complex skill uh, because it's so easy to lose motivation when you have lost access to all comprehension. 
um, when you when you don't comprehend anything, <clears throat> anything you don't you don't understand um, anything. It, it's just so demotivating. It's just it's just boring. And so when you're a beginner, you have to start with the beginner things, and ideally the fun beginner things that keep you keep you engaged, keep you interested. And so in this case, in this case, I've I've realized that I I can't translate my skills from web development over to iOS development as much as I first anticipated. Um, I got to a point where I was getting, you know, I got through the suck phase of web development and I was actually starting to have fun learning. And now I was like, okay, I'm, I'm through the suck phase there, so I'll be pretty much through the suck phase over here as well. And that's not the case. So I'm back in the suck phase. I'm back in the, in the, yeah, the difficult, the swamps of sorrow, whatever you want to call it. And I've found that I maybe do need to just go back and do some tutorials because that's what I did with the web development stuff and it worked really well. Um, so as much as I don't like doing it, I'm still, I'm still pushing forward as, as much as I can. Like I started on the Ray Wenderlich tutorial for the Vision API and I just don't understand it. It's really, it's like not a beginner level friendly tutorial. It's a high level tutorial. Um, and sure enough, I can just go through it and copy paste all the code and sort of get it running, but I'm not actually, I don't feel, I'm not confident that I could do it myself. Um, still having ideas hit me about the app. Like I had this idea that you could have a handstand level and what it does is the app that does like a test for you and it gives you like a challenge or a, like an exam or something. <laughs> it's not an exam, it's not theory, it's like a practical. Um, but it like evaluates your starting level based on this, based on this test and that could potentially like put you ahead in in terms of experience from day one. Uh, that's possible to do, but then I thought, uh, maybe I'd just prefer everyone to start on the same baseline and they can just level up as they go, regardless of what level they start at. And if you're better at handstands from the beginning, then you'll just level up faster. All right. Um, concept, another concept. Programming every day. So with building apps, web apps, iPhone, iOS, whatever apps, to me, the hardest part of the app building process is knowing the right code to, to write, to build, to create. Knowing the right code. Um, but the thing about that, so I was like, okay, programming every day should just be like an exercise, like a muscle that you work out every day because that's the hardest part of this whole thing. And that if you're good at, there's other things as well, sure enough, there's lots of other things that you need to be good at. You still need to know marketing, you still need to know design, you still need to know your development tools, um, you still need to know how to research. But um, other than that, the hard part is just programming, just writing code that works and is, is written correctly with you know, the correct design patterns and design principles and knowing how to solve problems and knowing like that problem solving process. And that's the muscle that you should be flexing, in my opinion, every day. But you don't, like, at the moment, I don't have to do that every day because I'm still just getting set up and 
I was thinking, what a concept. Like, why don't I find some exercises that I can do each and every day that would go on top of building my app that are not directly related, but help to flex that muscle. Um, but then I thought, it all happens in the context. So there's this broader environmental context of writing code and you can't decouple writing code from the broader higher level context of what that code is trying to do and and i guess i don't know maybe this is more relevant in ios development but you have a lot of different you have a lot of different elements to building an app like you have different views different screens different like there's so many different files and they all interact with each other and they all like share data with each other. And so uh, it's kind of difficult to just do little workouts, like do little exercises um, to, to get better at programming because it all happens within this kind of broader scope. And so you, you kind of need, you need to always be thinking about it from a high level as well as a low level. And so I think that this process of getting really good at, you know, swift programming or swift development is one that just takes a lot of time. I think that you have to just do a lot of apps like from start to finish to get really, really good at it. Um, that's my current thought on that. Um, might be wrong. Uh, I'll definitely think more on that. Uh, what else we got? Structs and classes. This is new to me. So... JavaScript doesn't really, well, I guess it does, but I mean, JavaScript's not really object-oriented, and this is an object-oriented programming language. So it has classes, it has struct, struct, structures, and I, that's new to me. There's so many different things about Swift that are just new to me, like you've got private variables, you've got all these different um, syntaxes that I've never seen before, but they do interesting things that create create more secure code and safer code and less error prone code and they're guided by design principles that are also kind of new to me as well and so i have yeah i mean it's it's not as translatable across to just you know writing javascript in the browser um definitely a lot to learn here but i learned about structs and classes and let me let me just tell you about that so we've got value types and reference types Structs are your default, and when you're learning web development, when you're de declaring a variable, the safe way is to default to declaring a constant, and then uh, you can't change that, that constant. That variable always will have that data that it's initialized with. And structs are like that as well. If you, you create a structure, you create all the, the variables in that structure, and then you want to use it, what you end up doing is you create a copy of the data and then you can work with that data, but the original struct stays the same. Whereas with classes, you create a copy of the reference to the data and then you can actually modify the reference which changes um, for other, other classes that are referencing that reference. This is how I understand it anyway. That you're actually just creating a reference and that the analogy is like a piece of paper if you you write down your phone number on a piece of paper and you give it to someone else and they create a copy of that piece of paper on another piece of paper. You still have your piece of paper. They have their piece of paper. That's a structure. 
whereas a class is the piece like the piece of paper itself so you would end up just giving that piece of paper away and if they changed it then they changed the data um, pros and cons to each don't really know the full length of it yet but yeah uh, and then, then this other thing is this, I guess this is a big thing um, UIKit versus Swift UI so UIKit used to be the framework for well, the standard framework for um, building views and layouts. And then Apple developed Swift UI, which improves a lot of things and makes a lot of things easier. Um, but most apps, most um, developers still use UIKit because it's just been around for longer. It's been around for over 10 years, and most of the code bases are written in UIKit. And also Swift UI can't do everything yet that UIKit can do. And so you kind of have to bridge these two frameworks. Um, and sometimes I guess you need to create wrappers for UIKit stuff to pull it into Swift UI. So there's two UI frameworks that I have to learn now, which, yeah, I mean, I could just use Swift UI, but then it, it won't do everything. And it's still definitely worth learning UIKit. All right, I think that's mostly it. <laughs> uh, other than that, lifestyle update. Um, I was learning, I was reading Bahasa in the morning and I'm gonna move that to the evening before sleep. So reading before bed, definitely a great way to wind down and especially language learning, I think that's great. It just takes your mind away from everything that you've been thinking about and doing during the day puts it in a completely different language <laughs> and it's a fiction book that I'm reading. I'm reading Harry Potter. So I'm changing that from the morning to the evening and that will open up more time in the morning because I was spending quite a bit of time reading um, to get started earlier on, on development. Uh, that's, yeah, that's about it. I've got more events planned for this next weekend, which I'm looking forward to. I am back into the sauna after a brief intermission and um, things are going well once again. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. I will catch you on the next one.